You're listening to Risk Takers podcast series coming to you from Chesley Brown headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. Helping businesses explore better ways to anticipate and navigate risk before it becomes a crisis. We've been doing this for more than 30 years. I'm your host, Brent Brown, Chairman and CEO of Chesley Brown, and joining me this week is Bazel Boz, uh, better known as Boz. Um, also with me here in the, our uh, corporate headquarters uh, studio is Dell Spry. Um, Dell is uh, FBI SSA retired and also uh, managing director of uh, Chesley Brown uh, Investigations Group. So uh, welcome, both of you. Boz, thank you for dialing in all the way from Colorado. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you, Brett, for having me. I really appreciate it. It's always good to be with you guys. It's always good to, to get to talk to you. And what, Today we're going to be talking about human trafficking, uh, and I'm sure some other things will come up. But um, let me um, remind everybody who they're listening to. First of all, um, you're probably most well-known for... Uh, being one of the, the the stars of the NBC Blacklist, um, Red Reddington's uh, mercenary group. I think you were the chief of that. But in real life, uh, what a lot of people may not realize is when they're watching the, the TV show, The Blacklist, is that um, you were on the good side of things in real life as a Tier 1 operator, the real deal, um, graduate of the Citadel, Marine Corps uh, officer, um, CIA special activities, FBI instructor. You've written books, movies, uh, TV shows. So just an incredible career so far. And and I think the the thing I admire about you most is is the passion that you have and um, just making sure that you're we're taking care of our, our country's kids and and the many many things that you're involved in. So. Boz, tell me, uh, before we start into the actual human trafficking countermeasures, and um, how in the world did you uh, create such an incredible background? Tell me, tell me where you came from, how you got onto the Citadel and the Marines, and give us some color there. Yeah, Brent, thank you. Well, let me start by just telling you I think that at least for my life, maybe not like everybody else, I think there is a, a long streak of divine intervention, to be honest with you. I'm blessed. I'm grateful. Uh, I think God just has, you know, he carved out my life for me. I, I come from a immigrant family. 1914, my grandfather came here to the United States uh, wow. from Beirut, Lebanon. Wow. Uh, married my grandmother, uh, who was Native American and a little place called Georgetown, South Carolina, uh, uh, was uh, an all-former slave community where people lived pretty much at peace. Uh, there were no racist issues then. I'm back in the still who lived across the street from me, uh, a black American. And by the way, Brent, she's not an African-American. She wasn't from Africa. Right. She'll tell you that. Right. She was a black American. She helped deliver all 12 of my, uh, my uh, grandmother and grandfather's kids. Wow. Uh, from that, uh, I think there was a sense of patriotism and honor and duty to the country, and so almost all the boys joined the military, my father being one, former Green Beret, 
I was raised in a, uh, a military family, married my mom from that same area. And uh, and so he said, he and both my mother set a great example of what godliness was, what honor, duty, uh, you know, really, you know, encouraged me to study the uh, uh, the founding fathers' constitutional law and, and things that helped build this nation. Um, little would they know that it was that foundation that would allow me later to end up and understand a little bit more about justice when it comes to not only just human trafficking, but why we do it and why we need to protect the nation on all fronts, to be honest with you, right. particularly our children because of the future of our country. But from there, I did. I uh, entered into the Citadel, um, and from the Citadel, a great school, amazing school, oh, loved absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, went into the Marine Corps. Uh, was uh, probably, I would believe I was assigned as one of the Marine Corps' first counterterrorism officers after we got hit in Beirut, Lebanon, lost 220-some uh, personnel there in a, uh, a bombing, as you, you you probably remember that world. I do, to remember I that. And, um, and then soon after that, uh, getting, getting put on the staff to develop the Marine Corps' counterterrorism program, was recruited by the CIA Special Activities Division uh, Ground Branch, I spent some time in Ground Branch, Maritime Branch, uh, and had a, an amazing career there um, with some phenomenal patriots, uh, probably some of the most unselfish people that had, that had come from all walks of life, mostly mostly military, because they were paramilitary case officers. Uh, spent that time in the world of espionage, got an opportunity to hear about great people like Dale Spry, uh, one of the FBI's, what we call him the spy hunter. Um, and I'm glad he's with us today. Phenomenal career. An example, probably one of the best examples to every FBI agent there is in America, to be honest with you, and to many of us in the CIA who had an opportunity to work alongside of him in protecting the country. And um, somewhere around 1993, most people remember a little incident they made a movie about Brian Brett called Black Hawk Down. Right. Uh, I was with some of the first CIA teams in there to do a number of things, collect intelligence, reopen the embassy, and, and a few other things. And uh, on a given day, we rescued a couple of children there that were not necessarily full Somali children. They were the children of a, I believe it, the story turned out, they were the children of a, a, an Italian engineer that had been working there and uh, had abandoned them. Uh, and when the war got started, the Civil War there, and um, probably had a family in Italy, probably uh, somewhere else there in Somalia as well. But but what that did, that what that forced me to do was when I uh, uh, that that rescue of those children um, made me wonder what was going on with all children around the world. And when I got back to the United States, I started asking what was happening with children in America. And much to my surprise, uh, my law enforcement partners and and CPS people and stuff like that told me at that time in 1993, there were about 250,000 children missing in the United States. And when, when I asked what you meant, what am I missing? They said, well, you know, some are runaways, some are murder victims, some are homeless, some are trafficking, some are child pornography. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What do you, what do you mean trafficking? And they said, well, um, like slavery like sex slavery. And I said, children, 
And they said, yeah, yeah, here. And so I started seeing examples. They would show me there would be a child porn site or there would be an incident in a police report about a child that had had a non-custodial parental abduction and trafficked, or worse, was that children were literally being scooped up off the streets and sold into sex slavery. Wow. And as we know now in 2020, when we look back at the, the investigations, we know the Vatican, parts of the Vatican were involved in child molestation, uh, corporations around the United States, satanic cults, and the list goes on and on and on to, I said, wow, we have a problem here because how do you murder a child without killing them? Well, you sexually exploit them. You steal all their innocence, and for the rest of their life, if they survive, they die every day. It's probably one of the most heinous crimes that we could commit against a child in any country, but my focus was here on America. And so because it was out of sight, out of mind, or it wasn't in someone's neighborhood, or the media wasn't covering it, um, you know, nobody knew about it. And even now, to be very honest with you, if, we, if I look at what's happening around the United States with people trying to defund the police, let me tell you what, a lot of those police officers are the very same people that have come alongside of us and helped us save children. But anyway, when I took a look at the fact that if I didn't do something about it, honestly, it wasn't going to get done. Um, that's where my heart went. And so I thought, you know, there's something bigger than overthrowing small governments, and it is protecting the nation. These children are the future of our country. If they're allowed to grow up in dysfunctional environments, then they'll be dysfunctional adults. Um, and somebody, somebody has to care enough for them and to stop and go, wait a minute, I was a child one time. If something was to be happening to me, then um, would I want somebody to help me? And, uh, and, and even if, Brent, you don't care about child trafficking issues, let me tell you what, we have a national security issue, so let's ask yourself this question. If we can somehow get away with transporting 800,000 children across America or around the world undetected through some type of logistical system, then what else can you transfer around the world? Can you transfer nuclear weapons without being detected? Can you transfer weapons without being detected? Can you transfer drugs without being detected? Can you transfer things for the cartel out of Mexico without being detected? I think the answer is yes. And I think that we need to wise up and realize that this very sophisticated child trafficking issue is a problem for all of us in America. So, Boz, I think this is a good part to, to say that you know, people are hearing your passion here and, and um, you know, we're, we're certainly on board with that uh, and I admire you for what you're doing but you actually put together a, a, an organization called the Association for Recovery of Children it's a, a non-profit group uh, a 501c3 I'm assuming that uh, if, if people want to make a donation I'm sure we'd be delighted to do that but tell us specifically what you do with that organization um uh, I think that the numbers that you are talking about are just staggering, that, that people uh, don't really have a clue. But but you're doing um, incredible work recovering. Bob, before you answer that, I need to throw a question in here, and I'm going to be brief. 
Now, I'm very familiar sure. with the ark, but what I need to know is what put this burden on your heart and those children that you saw that were left in, I think you said it was Somalia, was that what piqued your heart initially that led to the formation of ark? And what happened to those those children? Did you, did they die? What happened? No, those children we actually, uh, uh, against probably uh, standard operating procedures, because as you know, we were there to collect intelligence, not rescue kids. Uh, we miraculously, believe it or not, a, an orphanage popped up. There was a lady from America that had come there uh, and opened an orphanage in the war zone. And uh, we were able to deliver those children and reunite those children with their mother and their little one-year-old brother wow. and put them to safety. I think, that's, I think that might be the, the spark that got my interest. Uh, but when I came back to America, Dale, uh, just the overwhelming odds uh, and the number of children and knowing that there were jurisdictional issues, there were communication issues between law enforcement agencies uh, from state to state, um, there were a lot of problems that did not make the rescue of children a priority. Um, I had even been told by certain law enforcement partners that homicides, car thefts, bank robberies, um, all of those things had priorities over uh, saving children. Now, I think it had a priority because they didn't understand what they needed to do in order to save children. It's not that law enforcement at that time didn't want to, but if you're not equipped to and trained to do that or be in that war, and plus you're inundated with a thousand other crimes a day in your city, which includes reports and the whole thing, it's just overwhelming. I mean, it, we, we, quite honestly, we don't have enough law enforcement officers to do handle all the crimes that need to be handled. But I saw that they needed a helping hand. I saw that America needed a helping hand. And quite honestly, look, I'm not the kind of person that can walk by the street and see a crime being committed and not help the innocent. You know, I just, I just, I'm not like that. So um, we did. We created the Association for the Recovery of Children, which is a nonprofit of former intelligence, military, and law enforcement officers who are dedicated to the safe recovery of missing and exploited American children. And once all law enforcement efforts, you know, have been exhausted, both local, state, and federal, we get involved. I mean, we won't get involved in an ongoing investigation. We don't want to interfere with that. But once our law enforcement partners at every level say, hey, we, we, we can't go to we can't go to uh, Nicaragua to look for these American kids because there's, it's owned by, you know, socialists and the cartel. Or, hey, we can't go into uh, MS-13's territory because um, we're going to find ourselves in a, a shootout. Whatever it may be, that's when we go. We try to find out where's the most, honestly, the most dangerous area to go to, and we go there because if we don't, the question is who? And how can I live with myself at the end of my life on this earth knowing that I didn't even try? That I did, I, I mean, I'm a former special operations officer. I've been downrange, you know, I mean, and some of the nastiest stuff out there, as many of us have, many of my staff who are tier one operators. And so what's our excuse going to be? Oh, we were afraid we were going to get shot. Uh, hello? I mean, you know, we were in Angola. We were in Afghanistan. We were in Iraq. Well, so we don't teach our people to be safe. We teach our people to be brave. And if you're going to go save children, 
American children, then you got to be brave. So we created ARC, and um, we're not a large organization. We are an effective organization. We, thus far, we have 100% success rate. Every kid we've gone after, we've brought home. There have been some children that we could not bring home because they were not alive any longer, and that's uh, that's a whole story for a different time. But mm. if you recall, if I can circle back for a moment, I said that most law enforcement at that time were just ill-equipped, and they weren't trained. And so over the course of time, and I think we're probably one of the oldest in child rescue NGOs in the United States, but uh, since... 1993, we've noticed that the child trafficking awareness scenario, so to speak, is is huge, huge. There are a lot of people that are aware. Now, there are some people that when you talk about this subject matter, they go, you're kidding me, and they're not aware. But overall, in the United States, we're kind of aware that there's trafficking. And since 1993, literally, literally, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands and thousands of NGOs have grown, have sprung up to preach awareness. Well, let me explain something to the audience. Most of those people think because they teach you to be aware and you go to their course and you're aware that you've done something about the problem because you're aware that the problem exists. That's just like everybody else in America wakes up they read the newspaper about it being a crime being committed, and they go, well, I'm aware that this crime was committed, and they think they've actually done something to prevent future crimes because the crime was committed. Right. It's just like you read about right now, the protests around America. You think because you read it on the newspaper that you've done something about it because you're aware, and it's never coming to your town. But guess what? It is going to come to your town. If you don't go there and stop the socialism, if you don't go there and stop the burning and the destruction, it's going to come to your town. Well, guess what? That's the same thing with child trafficking. If you don't get involved, one day your kid may be gone. That's the reality that we live in every single day. And I know people have heard me talk about this, and they walk away going, well, that's just a little hype. Let me tell you what. If you believe that to be the case, you're a fool because I deal with it every single day. I've dealt with parents that have come back and said, my child is gone, she's being trafficked, I knew about this three years ago, I didn't do anything about it, I didn't get involved, I need to get involved, I need to get my kid back, what can I do? So it in itself is a very sophisticated, very lucrative business model where children are a commodity, like every other thing. And when you get evil people that have a great business model and they can make money and have power over other people, guess what? This is what you get. So what we realized, and I've had this discussion with you guys before, but we'll have it with the audience, is that it was not enough to be aware that if we're going to stop this, two things have got to happen. Either everybody in the United States has got to get behind ARC and donate all the money they can so that we can build an army of 50,000 anti-child trafficking warriors to go out there and do sometimes what local law enforcement may not be equipped to do or DOJ may not be equipped to do, and or you yourself have got to get equipped. And so from that, as you know, we developed our we developed a course on equipping a very intense eight-hour-a-day, uh, three-day course on equipping people because people were coming to us going, what can I do? And I can't give them just 
two sentences and then it teaches you what to do. But what we needed to do was start training people so that when they left, they could literally go out and rescue a kid and do it without getting themselves in trouble. And so now we're not only are we involved in actual uh, rescues, not only with our great relationship with the Department of Justice, with a lot of great law enforcement people, but now we're trying to, to get the civilian populace, the NGOs, the people that think that awareness is all it takes, we're trying to get them equipped so that they can physically go out in their town, their city, their state, whatever it may be, and actually make a difference and rescue and save the lives of some children. Um, so that's kind of where we are right now. We have some other agendas. We have a legislative agenda that we're pushing in Washington, uh, which quite frankly basically is and our is the death penalty. You know, um, we believe that if you want to see a you want to see a, a bite in this, then you just tell people, look, you sexually molest a child, you don't get you don't get sixty months, you know, six months in jail. You get the death penalty right. um, because you've just basically have killed this child's soul. Um, and so we've got a few things on the burner that we're doing. That's incredible. So full disclosure, uh, Chesley Brown has teamed up with uh, with you and Ark to um, help do this training. Uh, uh, and and our our goal at at this stage is to to help get this out there to train law enforcement. I, I think you would agree. You know, I, I was just a, a simple old beat cop uh, when I started all this thirty something years ago, and uh, I think that I probably encountered this uh, some type of trafficking in the time I was out uh, working a beat, but I didn't know it. And I think that's part of what we're up against now is uh, your your average beat cop, if you will, um, interacts or discovers or lays eyes or something on this problem routinely. They just don't know what they're looking at. And second, yeah. they don't know what to do about it. Their their agencies don't have a clue what to do about it. And we're trying to bridge that gap. Yeah, and I think if there's anybody to do that, particularly in your area with law enforcement, I think it's your company, to be honest with you. You know, you understand the law enforcement uh, mindset. You, you come out of that world, um, and it allows what we've done alongside of you to help uh, place that properly where it needs to be. But you're exactly right, uh, Brent. Um, and this is no, look, this is no um, bad rub against our law enforcement partners. Oh, no. Here's the reality of life. You can only be trained in so much stuff. Right. And as time continues, new things uh, evolve. And so... While most of our law enforcement throughout the entire United States have an understanding, a little understanding of trafficking and what's going on, it has exploded exponentially probably in the last 10 years that it has put everybody behind the power curve, so to speak. So to be able to go in and teach our law enforcement partners what we know on the street because we're downrange, Mm-hmm. Uh, I think is a wonderful thing. You know, we're not we're never going to tell people how to pick apples. You know, <laughs> we're not certainly an art. We're not arresting people, um, but if we can share our experience 
and the way we do things, I promise you this. Just, just think about this. If we have a 100% success rate, we must be doing something right. right. If we can take our program and provide it to our law enforcement partners, guess what? They'll probably be able to do a better job as well. You know, we don't have the uh, disadvantage as they do of having to do all these other things, handle all these other crimes. They're, they have one heck of a job to do, and it's nonstop. And God bless them for doing it. I'll tell you what. Look, I don't want to be a law enforcement officer. It, it's 24-7. You have to be a special type of individual to dedicate and sacrifice your entire life for your community. I mean, it's... You know, they, they never get they never get downtime, so to speak. Yeah. So if we can help lift that burden to some degree and teach them a better way of doing it, um, I think it would be great. And it would be great for us, too, because it would be saving children. Boss, do you think it's a problem that in law enforcement and these cops, they mean well, but they arrest some of the same people over and over, say, for example, on a prostitution charge? But they never ask them, say, what does that tattoo on your shoulder mean? Or who, who burned you? And those could be associated with someone marking them in a trafficking matter, but the police don't know to ask those questions. And in addition to that, how important would it be to maybe for us to set up a class for the medical professionals? Yeah, well, a couple things take place in any organizational structure, including law enforcement. Um, a lot of times, depending on who your leadership is, it's just about getting your numbers. You know, it's like, and I've actually sat down with my law enforcement partners, as, as Dale, as you and I know, coming out of the world of espionage, where we had leaders going, look, I want you to make sure you have 15 agents on the books. It didn't matter if they were producing intelligence or not. It's just like, man, if you can show that you've got more agents under your control than anybody else, you're probably going to get a promotion. Well, sometimes in law enforcement, if you can get more arrests than somebody else, for some reason that translates over that you've been doing a better job, and that's not the case. That's certainly not the case. Um, and and that, that, honestly, is a result of poor leadership. Um, you get good leaders in there, and that's every organization. That's just not law enforcement. That's corporations, that's military, that's across the board. <clears throat> but in law enforcement, um, yes, they do arrest the same person. And sometimes they're just trying to clean up the streets, but we're not going after that. We're not going to cut off the head of the snake. And they're not because they don't have the intel to do it. Sometimes the DAs tie their hands up. Sometimes there are people in high positions that are involved. I'll give you an example. We won't mention a name, but I know of a law enforcement division in a certain city that every they knew. Look, we're not arresting the prostitutes. That's not the problem. Who's prostituting them? That's who we got to go after. And so, in every attempt they went after to go after the pimp or the trafficker, so to speak, the judge would turn around within three days and let the trafficker out. He, he did everything he could to go against the police department, and including the DA who was friends with the judge, right? Now, that was mysterious to a lot of people. So some, some people went behind the veil to find out what was going on, and guess what was going on? The judge was in bed with the prostitutes. Right. He was in bed with the trafficker. 
So this is another thing that law enforcement sometimes deal with. You get law enforcement officers that they do this for years and years and years, and after a while, when there's so much corruption, they're like, why do I need to even bother with this? And then the attitude shifts like, look, if you want to if you want to choose to be prostituted, then good luck with that. The problem that we run into is that not every, I don't believe there are very many people choosing to be prostituted or enslaved. So they do need to be trained, Dale. They need to understand when they, if a prostitute or someone being prostituted is arrested, what are those symbols? What do they mean? Are they gang symbols? Is it, is it the symbol of a pimp? And, and then we need to look at a different way of shutting those people down. Look, if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. And the fact of the matter is when it comes to child trafficking or human trafficking, in some cities, we're not getting anywhere. So we've got to change the formula. And that's what we bring to the table. There's a different way to do it. I've got to tell you, and Dale, you can speak to this as well. The world of espionage that we came out of is a pretty creative world. And there are other ways of killing the dragon than going head on. And so, you know, there are, if you really want to save lives, if you really want to stop the problem, there's other ways of doing it. Heck, I, I just had a meeting with somebody who was attached to the IRS, and I said, you realize last year, of course, we had $26 billion in child pornography. In the United States, $26 billion in child pornography. Now, outside of the fact, the strategic question of, like, where are these kids being held that are being photographed, how about this question? IRS, you don't care about the kids, but you care about money. So you got $26 billion that was untaxed. Mm. Would you like to tax that money? How about if you had a way of going after the people that are trafficking the children and you want to stay within the legal system and you put them away for tax evasion, you know? And, and so there's, what I'm getting at here, gentlemen, is there, we have to be more creative. Um, yes, you and I and Brent would love nothing more than to just walk up to somebody that has sexually abused a child and just hammer them. But we have a legal system. We have to abide by it, and we have to stay within the lines, and so we can't, but there are, ways that we can put those people away. There are stronger messages that we could send to them to deter them. We're not going to get rid of child trafficking. Right. Not in our lifetime. It's been around for it, but we can take a big bite out of it, and we can stand our ground, and we can say, this is not going to happen on my watch. So, yes, Dale, you're exactly right. There, law enforcement needs to be far better educated on who it is, where it's happening, and talk to people like all of us, you and you know, Brett and myself, on how could we find a different way of accomplishing the same mission. So, Boz, uh, you know, obviously this is a very profitable business for the people that are doing this. Um, what do you say to the people that um, talk about the, the global pandemic that we're in right now, that obviously that's hurt their profits as as well with the child trafficking. It's not going on right now. The, the airlines aren't moving, so uh, the, that's not true, right? I mean, th- this is still a huge problem, and this is very ingenious people figuring out a ways to, to still make things uh, horrific for these children, right? 
It is. We just had an operations meeting last night talking about this same thing, Brent. Um, trucks are still moving across state. Trucks are transporting things. Those things can be children. They can be people. Cars are still moving across the United States. Caravans that prostitute women uh, are still being trafficked or moving. Um, believe me, if you think just because some governor said uh, there's a stay-home order because of COVID that pimps are going to listen to that, you're crazy. They don't, hey, there's law enforcement that says don't do drugs. Do they do drugs? Of course. Right. There's law enforcement. There's laws that say don't prostitute. Do they prostitute? Of course they do. So what make you know, it's like, it's like all the gun advocates that go, hey, we're going to put a law that says no one can have a gun. Seriously? Do <laughs> you think <laughs> criminals going to listen to that? It's, it's the stupidest thing in the world. What? You think that just because you are the governor or you're the city mayor and you say don't do this, it's, it's like, no. You're not autonomous. You're not the king. Nobody, criminals don't care. So, and yes, it is still going on. And uh, I'll tell you another way it's happening also. Because so many young kids, let's say children under 18, are now at home and their parents aren't monitoring them. Or And their parents are going, well, you know, I don't want you to get bored. So, yes, it's okay. Now, I used to let you stay on your computer for an hour after school. Sure, if you want to stay on your computer for eight hours, go right ahead. Okay? So now what's happening on Snapchat and their phones is the pimps have reached inside, and we're starting to see an escalation in child porn with children basically filming themselves. Wow. So someone is getting in touch with them, and they're, they're through PayPal or whatever, and guess what? They're opening up an account for them. Money's falling in their accounts. Sometimes parents don't even know they have accounts. Um, and they start out with their computer, and they're getting naked in front of the computer, and they're selling that. And the pimps and the distributors, are that's going worldwide. And so the next thing that we're going to start seeing is that these pimps, we're already seeing it, or whoever they may be, traffickers are saying, hey, you know what, last week when you took your shirt off, uh, you get made $300. How would you like to make $3,000? I'd love to. Great. You know Starbucks on the corner of 13th and Main? Let's meet there. Let's talk about this, and then you're going to be rich. Well, guess what? What do you think the kid does? kid goes to Starbucks at 13th and Main. They get yanked up, and now they're back into being physically transported and traveled and prostituted and trafficked all over the United States. We are going to see when the smoke clears, so to speak, from all of this police defunding. Right now, we're getting calls in. I called the police. They're not responding. Our city has defunded them. My child was picked up, yanked inside of a car and taken away. She's only 12 years old. I need help. We, can't, it's, it's, it, we can't do it. Art can't do it. I'll tell you that much. So what we are going to see probably – probably after the elections when all this gets resolved uh, or when we start seeing people get to their common sense and realize we need police, um, you know, good police, there's going to be a, a, probably a threefold increase in missing children. They're being taken every day because what's happening is there's so many distractions going on. Um, look, at, look at the media and the newspaper. How many... Uh, are we seeing giant cases of 
missing kids? No. We got the news is covering the riots. It's covering this other thing and covering this other thing. Mm -hmm. So the bad guys know that. And let me tell you what, they're going to town. They're going, this is, the iron's hot. Let's strike now. Man, this is clean pickings. We can just keep going and going and going because guess what? No one can track us down. They're busy doing other things. They're busy because of the chaos in the United States. You know, let me tell you what, when you do things like Gavin Newsom from the state of California decides to let thousands of criminals out of jail for some stupid excuse like, well, we don't, we don't want COVID to spread in the jail. Well, guess what? It's contained there. Leave it. But the reasoning makes no sense unless, of course, you want to create chaos, criminal chaos, and you want to destabilize your cities, your country, whatever it may be. And in that, think about this. These criminals that are going to be let out, they're not going to get a job. Regular people can't get him a job right now, right? What are they going to do? They're going to turn to what's easy pickings. And I'm going to tell you something. The desire to sexually molest children by evil people is not going to go away, and they're going to pay money for it. And so these criminals are going to get into a business model that's easy for them. And they're going to go steal children because guess what? Most of these criminals have learned surveillance, counter-surveillance. They've learned all this stuff. And what you're going to start seeing is you're going to see droves of children disappear. Now, you're not going to hear about it. Why? Because the media is too busy covering other things. But if somebody does, don't let it surprise our listeners if one day you hear that an entire kindergarten of children was stolen by four or five people, that maybe the kindergarten leader or the teacher was murdered and 20 children have just disappeared. I, mark my word. I'm, a, if I'm not a betting man, but I'm going to tell you what. It's coming, and it's coming fast. And, and that's, what, that's what we're going to see. Well, as I, yeah, thank you for your passion. Thank you for shining the light on this. Thank you for being willing to, to let Chesley Brown have a small part of, of this fight with you. Um, I want to make sure everybody knows how they can get in touch with uh, uh, with supporting the Association for the Recovery of Children, or ARC as we call it. Um, you can find uh, information on the Internet. Obviously, there's many ways to contact you, but um, if the simplest way is you, if you just Google Bazel Baz, you get to all kinds of information. And also, from the Chesley Brown's perspective, we... Uh, uh, this is a nonprofit uh, endeavor for us as well, and we have set up with the Atlanta Police Foundation a fund uh, to help us uh, get you over on our side of the country to teach law enforcement, um, because we agree strongly this is a uh, this is a horrific problem. It's a problem that needs a spotlight on it. We, we firmly believe that law enforcement sees it every day and they don't know what they're seeing. And the response we're getting uh, from law enforcement leaders is, is they want to be trained. So uh, yeah. thank you for, for uh, what you're doing. Um, keep doing it. Um, you're, you're an amazing American. Uh, I can't thank you enough for... Uh, uh, being our friend and for uh, taking time with us today. You're welcome. I can't thank you enough. God bless you guys, and uh, 
get it done in Atlanta, you know, get it done. You guys are the guys to do it. So I encourage everybody to be giving you a call and uh, becoming a part of your initiative, to be honest with you. Thank you so much. And thank you, uh, the audience, for tuning in. If you want to give us feedback on this interview or share some experiences, you can email us at risktakers at chesleybrown.com. And thank you so much for spending your time with us today. As, uh, as you know, you can find our links and notes to this episode and others on our website uh, at chesleybrown.com uh, forward slash risk takers. Thanks, for everybody. Thanks, Boz. Thanks, Dale. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Boz.